Well, our Eastertide series is going to continue today with a look at, if not my favorite biblical character. Um, oh, are the fourth and fifth graders you guys heading out to class? All right, you guys go. Yeah, yeah. If he's not my favorite biblical character, he's the one that I most identify with and I'm most empathetic to. Um, and the one probably I talk about the most. Uh, he was a disciple, a first-time disciple of Jesus named Simon Peter. He was one of the ones that I think made the best use of and was probably most transformed by the Easter season, which is that season after the resurrection, leading up to the ascension, and then really Pentecost. It was a deeply moving space in his life. He was a simple man, and he smelled of the sea, I'm sure. He was a Galilean fisherman with a routine, if not boring, life. He had a brother by the name of Andrew, and they were originally from a little nondescript town called Bethsaida. After living there a while, for whatever reason, he and his wife and her mother, his mother-in-law that was in the scripture, actually, they moved to another city in Galilee called Capernaum. And there in Capernaum they lived and they resided. And actually Jesus used Capernaum, we think, as his headquarters in Galilee. It was at the baptism of Jesus that he and Andrew and two other fellows with whom he was inextricably linked as the first called of the 12 original disciples a couple of guys named James and John. Some even speculate that James, John, Peter, and Andrew were in a fishing business together. We don't know. But John 1.40 says it was at that primal call when Jesus was baptized that these four men, two pairs of brothers, who had been following John the Baptist all along the way, were told by John the Baptist to no longer follow him but to transfer their allegiance to Jesus. And it was at that baptismal setting when Jesus came up out of the water and the voice of God spoke that this is my son in whom I'm well pleased and the spirit descended upon him. Shortly after that, it was in that setting that Jesus fixed his eyes on Simon for the first time. And he said something that is, again, to use the word, so nondescript that we could miss the beauty of it. When he looked at Simon the first time, Jesus told him, you are Simon. You are Simon, as if he didn't know that. But there's something here. You are Simon, son of John, and you will be called Cephas. Aramaic translated into Greek is Petros. Petros translated to English is Peter. Jesus looked at him and said, you are Simon, the son of John, and you will be called Jesus looked at him and told him who he was. You're Simon. He looked at him and told him where he came from. And only Simon could have known the weight, the gravity, the import of those words, the son of John. Think about your own families, your own heritage. You are Stan, the son of Steve and Shirley, the, the grandson of Lavelle and Dorothy and 
and Grace and C.D. Mitchell. Jesus told him who he was. He told him who he had been and where he came from. And then Jesus told him who he would be. Jesus said, you will be called. Interesting, he didn't say you will be, Peter. He said you will be called. In other words, you will experience such a transformation of life that you will not only be Cephas, Peter, the rock, but you will experience such a transformation that people will see it and they will call you that. Any good spiritual guide, any good soul doctor, whether it's a therapist, a psychologist, a pastor, a spiritual director, anybody you work with on your soul will help you with these three realities, who you are, where you come from, and where you're going. Jesus looked at him and said, your simple existence is going to, be, is going to become less than simple. Jesus said, son of John, you are going to be transformed into a person that you could scarcely imagine. I still remember one of the greatest messages I ever heard, and I wish I could find the old cassette tape. J.T. Pugh, an old pastor in Odessa, Texas, preached a message about the, the life of Simon Peter, and he called it stars you've never seen before. Jesus looked at the man and said, follow me. Your life is going to move from mundane to magnificent, not just in name, but in character. You will be called Peter. I don't know that it was implied, but it certainly was true that this process of moving from Simon to Cephas to Peter was not going to be an instantaneous transformation. It was not going to be on the heels of some grand epiphany, but it was going to be the same as it is for most of us a slow, two steps forward, one step backward process that the Bible calls sanctification. For our lives are not immediately set apart, but little by little they are set apart over time. They are distinguished and they are marked by the soul-making process that this universe provides. You will embark, Simon, on a lifelong journey of healing. As Scripture often does, it does in spates for Simon Peter. Scripture allows us to look back on his long and winding journey with Jesus. And it's clear that this fellow that began to follow Jesus was uh, an audacious guy. He was a bombastic figure. He took up a lot of acreage in a room. And it's also clear as you read the story of Simon Peter, there's not another character in the New Testament besides Paul and Jesus, talked about more than this guy. This is a fellow who was also often found chewing on the leather of his sandals. As my granddad, I mentioned his name uh, a minute ago, Lavelle George used to say, he said, I keep my foot in my mouth so much my socks are wet. And that's <laughs> what Simon was like. He had foot-in-mouth disease. Amazingly, when you study the life of Simon Peter, his life was a roller coaster. The same heart and voice that gave us in Matthew 16, thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. The same voice that gave us, Lord, to whom else shall we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life, and we believe and are sure that thou art the Christ. The same voice that gave us, Lord, bid me come unto you on the water, is the same voice that 
also gave us, this shall never be unto you, Lord. The same voice that gave us, shall we forgive seven times? Thinking himself magnanimous. This is the same voice that gave us, Lord, why do you say who touched me? There's a large crowd around. You're embarrassing yourself and us. It's the same voice that gave us, you will never wash my feet. The same voice that gave us, where are you going, Lord, and why can't I go? And I will never be offended in you. And though all these deny you, I will die for you, Lord. And that voice that gave us, thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God, is also the voice that gave us, I do not know him. No, I, I don't know him. Blankety, blank, blank, I don't know the blankety, blank. Uh, the Gospel of Luke tells a great story about this fellow named Simon Peter. It was called the transfiguration of Jesus. Um, and, and I think Luke's Gospel captures it most vividly. Jesus sets a group of disciples aside, and then he takes what's called the inner three, James, Peter, and John, up into a mountain. And when he gets up into the mountain, there is a profound event. Um, but I, I think the Gospel of Luke, in telling that story, I'll jump ahead a little bit, uh, reflects back on the character and the M.O. of this guy named Simon Peter when it reads. And again, this might seem innocuous, but in context, it's, it's pretty funny. The Gospel of Luke literally says that when Peter spoke, it says this, Peter said, not knowing what he said. Um, sounds like a lot of the comments on my Facebook post this week, but I digress. <laughs> Peter said, I love this, Peter said, not knowing what he said. He's one of these guys that just started talking. You know, some people think and then talk. Simon talked his way through to thinking. And I suppose that's a personality trait, and a lot of us have that. It seems the quick-talking disciple was one of us. He often spoke before he fully thought through a matter or event. The way he dealt with his fears, his emotions, some people go inside, he went out outside. He externalized, and he started talking. And yet, I'm compelled to say about him, in spite of the fact that his content was often questionable, one of the things I love about him is that his raw and honest affect, that, that raw and honest affect, to me was at least appreciable and I think even admirable. In the Gospel of Matthew's, I mentioned Luke's account, but in the Gospel of Matthew's account of the transfiguration, uh, the scripture is really clear that Jesus took Peter along with, now think about this setting, he takes Peter along with James and John up a high mountain. And as they're at the top of the mountain, they watch as Jesus begins to transfigure. What's that mean? I, I don't really know, but it's a profound event because before their very eyes, they said his face started shining like the sun. The, the, the mortal flesh yielded to the power, the glow of the divine in Jesus and his face shone like the sun, and his clothes were rendered dazzlingly white. And adding to this paranormal experience, to the metaphysics of the historic moment, 
as all of this is happening to Jesus, all of the sudden, two people appear. And these are two millennially deceased figures from Israel's history. Monumental figures that have been gone 800 to 1,000, 1,200 years. Moses and Elijah come back from the grave. And they appear. And so James and Peter and John are standing here watching this happen to Jesus. And now all of a sudden, Moses and Elijah back from the grave are there. And they begin having a conversation with Jesus. I would pay a handsome sum if I had it for a transcript of that exchange. I really wish that just we would have had just a blurb of what was said there. But they were conversing with Jesus, and the Scripture doesn't record it. Suffice it to say, to have been there as Peter was allowed to be there, to have been there as James and John were allowed to be there, in this monumental moment, some have even said that maybe they were there at the end of Jesus' life to encourage him. Because Moses, like King Jr., was a man that went up to the mountain but did not get across and died before the mission was accomplished. And maybe he was there to embolden Jesus, who was there to see the kingdom come but was going to die first. And maybe Elijah was the same. He was a man who was rapturously taken up into the heavens as Jesus would be later. I don't know, speculating. Bottom line is, it was a gift for James and Peter and John to have been there in that moment. And I think in light of the high privilege of that moment, I think we could have reasonably expected that this inner three group of mortals would have been rendered awestruck and wordless. And there's every reason to believe that James and John were absolutely rendered awestruck and wordless. But as you might expect... The fellow called Peter was not. He was in full form. Unbelievably, and I don't know how to paint this as goofy as it must have seemed. Unbelievably, as Jesus is glowing and Moses and Elijah are talking to Jesus, Peter busts up in the middle of them and says, This is awesome. He just, he's incredible. He's like, this is great. (laughs) Scripture literally says he looked at Jesus and Moses and Elijah and said, Lord, it is so good for us to be here. Us. You know, you almost feel him saying, hey, Mo, how's it been? You know, (laughs) just a goober in the strictest sense of the word. Lord, it's good for us to be here. And he's one of those nervous talkers who just wants to do something. And so he starts prattling on, and he says, you know, if you'd like, I could build three dwellings, one for you, one for Mo, and one for Elijah. And at that point, you have to wonder what Moses and Elijah's faces look like. You have to wonder what they were doing. The look on their faces when Peter, think about it, folks, 
Peter literally interrupts a conversation between Jesus, Moses, and Elijah. Clueless. There's been a lot of speculative ink spilled about what exactly Peter was intending. Was it a shrine, a memorial, um, a a proto-synagogue or church? Or was it just an accommodation for some extended stay? Was it so good for him that he just wanted to build something so they would dwell there and not move past it? And I do want to say about that, that's a one, if you're wrestling with Scripture and trying to get meaning from Scripture that's good for us in a contemporary form, we do have a tendency to take high moments like there and try to make them permanent and create dwelling places out of them. Spiritual experiences we can fixate on, and like the ascending Jesus, we can stare and and, and miss the future because we are so stuck in the profoundness of the past. There are experiences that we've had that do not need to be memorialized and we don't need to make shrines out of them. At some point, we lose our lives building photograph albums of the past. At some point, you have to look up from the camera and live the experience and move on because as surely as this experience is good, there will be another one. There's no need to build a dwelling place here. That's a really great analogy for the spiritual experience. No dwelling place here. Keep moving. So I don't know exactly what was going on. What I do know is that while he was prattling on about building a motel or a shrine or whatever it was, while he was still speaking, a bright cloud, think about this, a bright cloud begins moving in and it moves right over the top of them, overshadows them, and the voice, I think I've got the story right in terms of Peter's presumptuousness, because the cloud moves in, and the cloud is this theophany, it's God's presence, and a voice speaks from the cloud and says, number one, it didn't say, that's a great idea, Simon, and it didn't say, would like to hear more from you, Simon. The cloud said, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. And then the last line is really great. Listen to him. The inappropriate interrupter gets appropriately interrupted. And God essentially says to him, Simon, would you please shut up? This is my son, would you listen to him? Good night, man. Are you really going to commandeer and take over a conversation between Moses, Elijah, and Jesus? Stop talking, Simon, and listen. This week, as a young late teens transgender kid pours out his heart about suicide and family rejection for three or four paragraphs and somebody somewhere who thinks he's a sin decides to interrupt that process and try to explain to the kid something that a 2,000 year old book says about him Those are the moments you just wish a cloud would come in. 
and just say to whoever that preacher or scholar or know-it-all is, you know, this is a good time for you to shut up. This is, this is holiness, whether you understand it or not, for a, a, a child to be unveiling their greatest pain. And you think it's time to build memorials and theologize? That was the spirit of Simon Peter. Just stop talking and listen. It is so, it is so important to remember that Jesus never said, having mouths to speak, they speak not. We don't have any problem speaking. Jesus said the real spiritual malady is having ears to hear, they hear not. All tongue, no ears. Stop talking and listen, Simon. Ever the overreactive extremist. I mean, you remember, Lord, you can't wash my feet. And Jesus said, well, if I don't, you have no part with me. Oh, wash my whole body. Jesus said, no, I just want to wash your feet. I mean, this guy, you talk, Steve, you talk about a guy that needs 12 steps. Addictive behavior. Just total extremist. You remember, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. Jesus said, well said, now I must needs go to Jerusalem and suffer. And Peter rebukes him and says, this can't happen to you. And Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. In a three-minute window, Leah, he says the worst thing he ever said and the best thing he ever said. This guy is just all over the board. And in keeping with his personality, his extreme personality, when the voice says, shut up and listen, Peter goes from being absolutely ridiculously clueless regarding the holiness of the moment, he goes from that to falling on the ground in paroxysms of shame, and the Bible says he falls on the ground overcome by fear in the wake of that heavenly voice, and as he's lying there on the ground, ground shaking in fear, just as his audacious impertinence of over-talking was corrected by the interruptive cloud, Jesus now corrects this extreme reaction, and Jesus walks over to where he's quaking on the ground, puts his hand on him, and says, you don't have to be afraid, buddy. You don't have to talk that much for sure, but you also don't have to be afraid. And so the impertinence was corrected, and now all of a sudden this unwarranted terror was in turn gently corrected by Jesus. And Jesus looked at this extreme guy one more time and said, somewhere between the flip irreverence and the self-aggrandizing cluelessness, somewhere between that and unhealthy fear and false humility, there's got to be a sweet spot of spiritual perspective and deportment that that you could find, Simon. Somewhere, somewhere between the immature poles of prattling on in the presence of the holy and cowering in fear as he hears God's loving voice, somewhere in between there's got to be a place of mature, confident reverence and humble approach. Remembering that the Aramaic kepha or the, the Greek Petros, both mean rock. When you really study the story of this guy in the Gospels, you end up wondering if this fella called Rock 
if this prophetic dubbing of his life by rock, did Christ mean dumb as a box of? Did he mean sinks like a, or head as hard as a rock? Well, I'll close. For sure, this water-walking disciple had his share of low moments, but i got to tell you, he had his share of high moments too. At times, in the text, he played a veritable Gibraltar, I'm telling you. He stood up on the day of Pentecost and he said, you crucified the Lord of glory. He looked at a guy at the mouth of the temple and said, I don't have silver and gold, but such as I have, I give to you. He preached the gospel to the Gentiles the first time and then fought hard for their inclusion when the entire church rejected them simply because of how they were born. He is a hero of mine. But as surely as he was a Gibraltar, he was also at times a gelatinous sandbag. But whether a Gibraltar or a sandbag, he was always and inescapably ever on the potter's transformative wheel. And so the beauty of the biblical narrative is that it doesn't simply tell us the story of ancient characters for us to admire them. And it doesn't simply tell us the story of ancient characters for us to condemn and judge them. A thousand times no. Instead, the beauty and the wisdom of this book, lest we miss it, the beauty and the wisdom of this book is not in its historicity and factualness, though it has much. The beauty of this book is that when it tells the story of a guy named Simon Peter, it is, the tell, it is telling the story of me. And it is telling the story of you. When Jesus saw him and he looked at him standing there beside his brother, Jesus offered this simple word, if you will follow me, I will let you trade your nets in for souls and you will become a fisher of men. And he followed him up and down and in and out, effectively and ineffectively. But from those first words, follow me, Peter finally met the resurrected Christ on a seashore where he heard those three words we speak of quite often, Simon, lovest thou me more than these? And it broke his heart. Because not just did Jesus ask three times, but three times Jesus called him Simon. Jesus met him as Simon, told him he was going to be called Peter, and after three and a half years with Jesus, Jesus said, in spite of the fact that you're going to be called Peter, on that seashore, after three deep denials, Jesus looked at him and said, today, unfortunately, I still have to call you Simon. I don't know that you ever fully get the name Peter. I don't know that there's not moments that all of us Lee, even go back and you probably still have some Simon moments. <laughs> but Jesus looked at him and said, Simon, lovest thou me? And three times he answered in the affirmative. One thing that I have never really noticed until this morning, at the end of that exchange that we talk about so much, Jesus looked at him and he concluded by saying, follow me. <sighs> right back to where we started The Bible 
when it tells the story of Simon Peter, tells more than the story of an original disciple. Because Simon Peter is a part of me. It is a part of you. Simon Peter is more than a biblical character. It is the story of the journey inside every soul in this room. You are. And I'll tell you why you are. Because you are the son of. You are the daughter of. You came from. But if you'll listen to me and not be bound by that, I will tell you what you can be. And I will tell you that you can be it so deeply and so truly that people will know and they will call you a new name. We do more today than look at Simon Peter. We look through him. We look through his eyes. We look we look through the eyes of Simon Peter and we hear through Cephas's ears. We wrestle to not overestimate our place in the universe and we struggle often in that very space to not underestimate the same. We prattle on when we shouldn't be talking and we wrestle and we grovel on the floor when we should be standing on our feet. We desire to experience and properly respond to transcendence and yet we don't know how. As surely as we want to be sufficiently awed by the miracle of life and the ineffable mystery of God, we also want to avoid the pitfalls of inordinate fear and self-loathing and groveling that cause us to recede from the inviting mystery. The recession that bookends our book, when he came in the cool of the day, they hid themselves for fear. And in the end, when he shone like the light of heaven and his voice was the voice of many waters. Even the revelator John fell on his face and was dead. We are Adam and Eve. We are the quivering John and for sure we are Simon Peter. We are always trekking somewhere between sandbag and pillar. We are always wrestling between where we came from and where we're going who we were, who we are, and hoping against hope who we possibly can be. We are a group of people who follow Christ up mountains and down into valleys to transfigurations and crosses, baptisms and burials. We talk when we should be listening. We remain silent when we should be speaking. And in the end, we know that we are neither just Simon nor just Peter, neither what we were when he called us nor what we will one day be. We are Simon Peter indeed. We are a mix of frailty and strength. And we may not always get the transfigurative moment right, but dadgummit, at least we were there. And at least we're here. And surely we can say, Lord, it is good for us to be here. And thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And to whom shall we go? For thou hast the words of eternal life, and we believe and are sure. I don't know that I read too much into it, but the preachers got angry with one another. It was a denominational split in the book of Acts. And James and Peter and John were the Protestant, Catholic, and Orthodox heads at that time. 
And there was ego involved and there was spirit involved and only God could scarcely untangle the mix. But it's interesting to me when those three arguing preachers got together at that conference, Dwayne James, the brother of Jesus, looked over at Peter and he looked at him disagreeing with his theology and he said, our brother Simon says, and he knew what he was doing. And Simon bit his tongue. And yet even in old age, after his epistles were penned, the Bible says the old man who would finally die, crucified upside down on the cross, as legend has it, when he was writing his final swan song and literally said, it's not long before I die. My time's coming. Jesus told me it would. As he spoke of his manner of death, he closed out his last book by saying an epistle, Shannon. He said an epistle of a devoted follower of Christ, Simon Peter. And I love that. With everything inside of him, he would have loved to have finished his journey. Jennifer saying, I ended up Cephas, Peter, with all the Simon gone. But at the end of his life, he looked back and said, wasn't as good as it could have been. Wasn't as bad as it was projected to be. A long way from Simon, never fully Peter. I think I'll just sign this as one kissed by grace and blessed to have been here. Simon Peter, somewhere in between. Can you say amen? amen. Let's pray. We rest in the transformative power of grace. We wrestle between the extremes of arrogance and insecurity, the flip side of that egoic coin that just drowns us. We know how Simon we are. We know how Cephas we long to be. And yet, aren't we doing better, God? Aren't we doing better? Here's to doing better. Here's to Simon Peter in me. We pray these things in Christ's name. And everyone said amen. amen. I've told you the story before, but I wanted to just give you a little 30-second reminder an inspirational, influential man in my life, Jim McGuigan, an Irish preacher. I, I could talk all day about Jim. Jim literally left the presidency of a large academic institution because his wife uh, fell very ill, and Jim ended up moving back to his homeland, Ireland, and just pastored a little house church so he could take care of Ethel. He was an incredible soul. One of the favorite things I've ever heard in my life, one of the favorite things I ever tell is Jim with his Irish brogue told me one time, he comes from a Church of Christ background with a lot of insecurity, Mary, about going to heaven. And he said, Stan, no matter how much I've learned about grace, he said, I still have flashbacks of fear. And he said, the other night I dreamed a dream, and he said, there I stood before the Lord, and he said, I stubbed my toe in the marble around the throne, and I fiddled with the brim of my hat and cast my eyes about sheepishly. And he said, there at the great white throne, I finally whispered, Lord, I did my best. 
And he said, the Lord reached down and took my chin and lifted it up and looked it into my sad eyes and said, no, Jim, you didn't, but you did good, and I'm glad you're home. <laughs> you're doing good. Go do a little better this week. God bless you. We'll see you. Are we going somewhere today, Mel? God bless you. Be good to one another.